Why don't you guys be seated? Uh, guys, can I just say well, a few things to hear right here real quick. First of all, you guys still with me or are you just too tired? Because it's like the last night and I get it that you're like tired, especially the adults in the room, right? Adults, how are you feeling? Are you with me still? <laughs> Um, I wanted to say, first of all, one thing is I really love, and Sam, I haven't told you this, I love the service orders that you guys have here. I love all the different leaders coming up here and praying for you guys and sharing something that's on your heart. I think, I think the Lord works through that. I think the Spirit of God works through that when it's not just like one voice, but you guys get to see and hear from all of these different voices. And so that's good. That has been, I don't know, that's been really encouraging to my soul. Um, and then the second thing I wanted to say and make sure I said tonight is uh, students who are here, would you guys please like a really, really loud thank you for all of these adult leaders that have spent this week with you guys. Would you guys please say thank you to them? That is... I mean, it is priceless. Like, you cannot do youth ministry without committed adult servants that get it, that get why they do this. And, and you are the reason, students. You are the reasons. And so please make sure that you say thank you to them and that you tell them that you appreciate them, right? Because you guys always like to crack jokes how we're old, and that means we get tired, and yet, but also, they're out here all week with you guys. So that means they're doing what they're doing tired, because it's not untrue that we're old and we're tired. That is true. That's like a totally true stereotype. But, yeah, right, amen. But they're still out here with you guys, so please please, please make sure that you say thank you to them. And then lastly, please tell Pastor Sam that you appreciate that guy. That dude is a stud. He has been bringing it all week, and I appreciate him a ton. You guys are in amazingly good hands, and never take that for granted. A good, solid, Christ-loving youth pastor is absolutely nothing to take for granted, and you are blessed with, it, with a real one right there. So make sure you never take that for granted. All right, let's pray. We got one more. Let's do this. You guys ready? Let's pray. Father in heaven, this is it. This is the last one. I lay it at your feet. This is yours. Lord, these, I, I'm, I'm gone after this, Father. It must be your work in their hearts, God, that keep this together theme alive, that this together theme would live through citizens. Lord, if, if they don't, if it dies here, then it dies. It has to be carried on through them. So please, Lord, please, God, speak. Carve this theme of together, unity. Carve it into our hearts tonight and let it change the direction of our lives, the way that we live our lives. Let it be different tonight because of tonight, Lord. We want nothing less. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, some of you guys would know this about yourselves, but if not, like I'm going to teach it to you about yourselves right now. We love results. We are a results-based culture. 
Like I am really motivated by doing stuff as long as I get results from it. When I know what the results are, I'm, I'm willing to do it. So I want results, results, results. And, this, and that isn't bad. Like it's not bad. Like I, I kind of started off saying that like sort of negatively, but that's not bad. Like I have a result that I hope for you guys as I leave this place tonight. I hope that citizens, youth ministry, student ministries, experiences real lived out unity. I hope that that is the result from you being here this week. I want that result. I really do. But here's the thing that we have to understand about desiring results. They take time, don't they? Nothing worth having is ever going to be easy. Nothing worth having is ever going to come to you easily, simply, or instantly. And unity is no different. It will take some time. It'll be a long journey. And this passage has made that abundantly clear to us. It has made it so clear that we need endurance. We need encouragement. We need hope. I mean, it is abundantly clear that we need each other from this passage that we don't get what it offers without one another. That's clear. But what will keep us striving forward toward unity is to keep our eyes on why we want unity. Our motivation for striving for unity matters. And that's what we're going to see in this passage. What we're going to find here is that our motivation matters. We need to remember why we want unity, and it is this. Our motivation for unity becomes an invitation to unity. And I want you to remember this. What this verse, this last verse in this passage, verse 7, shows us is that when our motivation for unity is right, when we keep our motivation clear for why we want unity, then our unity reproduces itself. It spreads. Real, healthy unity spreads if our motivation is right. And so I'm gonna read verse seven, and I'm gonna show you the motivation that we see in this passage, and then finally the invitation. So verse seven Romans 15, last verse. Therefore, so in response to everything we have said the last three nights, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Now we're gonna look at this verse a little bit backwards. See, there is a command in this verse. There is something very, very practical that you are supposed to do in this verse, something that we are supposed to obey. But that's not where I want to start, okay? I mean, you can look. It's right there. It's like pretty obvious what it is, but I'm not going to mention it until the end, okay? Because we're going to start at the end, and the reason for this is because we want to focus on the ultimate result of our obedience to the command. So before I tell you what the command is and that you should do it, I'm going to tell you why you should do it. Okay? Is that clear? We're going to start at the end of the verse. And because the anticipated result of the command in this verse is that 
God would get the glory for all of it. Our motivation is we want to glorify God. We want to glorify God. Look at the end of the verse. Whatever command comes in the beginning, he says, he concludes with, for the glory of God. That however we obey it, however we put into practice the command in this verse, the result will be, the key motivation for obeying the command will be, God gets all the glory for it. God would be honored. God would be praised. And so listen to me, and let me say it as plainly as I can before I get into it, okay? We rob God of glory when we settle for separation. God is not glorified in our division, friends. God is not glorified when we settle into division like, man, it's too hard, it's too uncomfortable, it's just the way that it is, so we might as well give up. Guys, that robs God of glory. The only question is, and the ultimate question for you and I to ask is, do I care? Do I care about the glory of God? Do I care that God would be glorified by my actions, by my, by my words, by what I do as a result of being at this camp, do I care that God would get all of the glory? Because here's the thing. If God being glorified is not your reason and motivation behind your actions, if you don't care about the glory of God, then I'm just going to be straight up with you. You will not care about the rest of this sermon. <laughs> that, that is the main thing that is meant to motivate us to obey this whole thing is that God would be glorified. But the Bible makes something so clear, you guys, so clear from beginning to end. Glorifying God is what we were made for. Bringing glory to God is why we exist. He formed us in his image that we might display that image to his creation for his glory. Guys, honoring God with these lives of ours and you collectively honoring God with this group is what we were designed to do. That's our purpose. It's what you're meant for. And when you do the thing that you were most meant to do, that is where you'll find the most joy. That's where you'll actually have a life that you are content with, satisfied with, what the world is striving for. They find in their, their greatest purpose for existing in God. It's like, it's like we're a fish breathing in water. That's where the fish is most content, most satisfied, because that he's doing what he is made to do. He is meant to breathe in water, not on land. When we glorify God with our lives, we are doing the very thing that we are meant to do. And the vice versa is true as well. When we refuse to glorify God with these lives of ours, we are like a fish trying to breathe on land, flopping our way onto land, flopping there thinking, ah, no, I don't really want to breathe underwater anymore. I like to, I like to hang out on land. That's like when we are not glorifying to God, we, are, we end up like that fish, miserable, and eventually it kills us. 
And this has to be our foundational motivation that we would glorify God. And because, because any other motivation for obedience to the command in this verse will end up short-lived. It'll end up shallow, lame. Because let me tell you, and I'm gonna be like as straight up as I can be, the command in this verse, the thing that I'm gonna get to at the very end, it is uncomfortable. It is hard. It's stuff that you won't feel like doing 10 out of 10 times. It is unnatural to us. Sometimes it's even heartbreaking and and messy. And so we need to start here. Before we get to the command, I need to show you why this is so difficult for us. I want to show you why this command is actually so difficult. And it's this. I'm going to show you in the Bible in a second. But the reason that the command in this verse is so hard to obey is because we are born not caring about the glory of God. We're born that way. And this is actually where the whole book of Romans begins. It leads up to this chapter where he mentions the glory of God multiple times, but it starts in Romans chapter one when he unpacks what sin looks like and he says that what unrighteousness, what sin is, is when we exchange the glory of God, what our purpose is, for something much, much smaller. When we take the glory of God and we trade it for something God himself created. That's sin. That's forsaking what we were made for. That's fish flopping around on land saying, I don't want to be in the water anymore. That's what what sin is. And that's where all of our problems start. Because we don't care about the glory of God, we'll take good, God-created things and we'll make them into sinful, God-replacing things. Guys, this is ultimately what sin is and what sin does. The more we trade God's glory for smaller things, the more we're like that fish flopping around, suffocating, wondering why we're so unhappy. Because we keep giving up the very thing we were made for. But let me show you, let me tell you something. That should tell us how deep our sin runs into our hearts. Because the very thing that we were made for, we get bored with. Isn't that just absolutely ridiculous? The very thing that would bring us most joy, a life lived for the glory of God, actually bores us. We think that there's something better out there. We, we become unsettled in it. We become unsatisfied with the very reason that we exist. That has to show you how deep this sin runs. And I need you to understand and acknowledge that this is where we all start. All of us. Not some, all of us. The book of Romans is clear. Chapter three, verse 23, right? All have sinned and fall short of what? The glory of God. We are all glory exchangers. We are all, we all took God's glory, the very purpose that we were made for, and we settled for something less. That is literally every human being in this room. 
What he describes in Romans 1, he declares in Romans 3, is true of all of us as human beings. Every single one of us. We are all together in that. And so how was this purpose of glorifying God, how could this purpose that we have given up of glorifying God, this purpose that we ran from, this purpose that we went against, how could it ever be given back to us? When we have separated ourselves so far, we have distanced ourselves so far from the glory of God, how could we ever be brought back? Paul writes in Ephesians 2, verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you, you, who once were far off have been brought near. How? How have we been brought near? How have we been given back our purpose of glorifying God? He says, by the blood of Christ. And this is the other half of our motivation. The first is to glorify God. The second, Paul makes it clear using beautiful, powerful, vivid language to declare we are loved by Jesus. We're loved by Jesus. And that, he uses that here to motivate us. He's not just declaring it. He is saying, obey this command because Jesus has loved you. Because he says right there, welcome one another, the command, as Christ has welcomed you. Now, I want you to notice something because this is life-changing, Okay? Paul writes in the past tense, and that is key. Whatever the command is, he is not saying do this command so that Christ will welcome you. Whatever the command is, it is not to make Christ love you. It is because Christ already has, and that will change your life. You can never get that backwards. Whatever he calls us to obey is not meant for you to earn the love of Christ. Whatever he give, whatever command he gives here, it is on the basis that you have already been loved by Christ. And you need to remember that. And so I want to ask three questions of this welcoming by Christ that he has welcomed you. The first is, how did Christ welcome us? How are we welcomed by Christ? Well, he uses this word, this word welcome. And maybe that's not that cool to us. Like, I don't know, maybe, maybe that kind of like goes in one ear and out the other. But it's a, it's a super strong word. It means to take one, to oneself, like envelop. Like, like you can picture like a hug, like, like, oh man, I'm just coming to get you like that and hold you and take you to myself. It, the opposite of, of this welcomed word would be like indifference, like, nah, I don't really care. You're over there. That's fine. That's great. You know, but the picture is like, the picture is like of when my daughters see me tomorrow night, my daughters, my three daughters, you guys saw a picture of them last night. They are going to run without fail. They are going to run and jump, and I'm going to take them like that, and I'm going to hold them as close as I can because I miss them real, real bad. It's been a week now, and that's too long, and I'm going to take them to myself. That's what this welcoming is. I'm going to hold them as close as I possibly can. I'm going to take them to myself. That's how we were welcomed to Christ. That's a beautiful picture, is it not? He doesn't just look at us from over there and be like, all right, you're welcome. Thanks for being here. And then like keep walking. 
He takes us. He scoops us up. He wraps himself around us. He chained himself to us. He envelops us, surrounds us. He takes us to himself. I don't know any more phrases to tell you this. A million pictures. I want to say it all. That's how he welcomes us. It is not at an arm's length. It is close. It's in an affectionate, loving way. And he doesn't want to let go. He doesn't keep us at a distance. He does not simply tolerate us. Can you hear me say that? He doesn't just put up with us. He doesn't just say like, oh man, great. That's great that you're here. No, he takes us. He scoops us up. One pastor said it this way. Jesus didn't bring us in, but keep holding his nose. He welcomed us in wholeheartedly, and he says, why? Because then the glory of God's grace would be clearly displayed. That's God's grace. God's grace is not like, hey, I barely let you in, but you know what? Sit over in that corner for a little bit. We are kids running up to our father, embraced completely and held as close as we could possibly get. So the second question is, what were we like when he did this? <laughs> what were we like when Christ welcomed us? When Christ brought us to himself? Who are we? Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come at this from one angle, okay? I'm going to kind of tell you what the Bible says, specifically Romans 5. If you haven't noticed yet, I'm trying to take us through the whole book of Romans tonight. But I want, I'm going to answer this question from a, like a Bible sort of theological angle, but I want you to answer it from another angle. Who were you when Christ welcomed you? See, you, you know you, right? Like, I know me. I, I know my sin, I know the, the words that have come out of my mouth. I know the thoughts that have come into my mind. I know when my heart's been wrong. I know me. You know you, okay? So I want you to just think about that and answer it for yourself. Who were you when Christ welcomed you, when Christ brought you to himself? And so I'll tell you from just the Bible, from Romans' perspective. First, we're the glory exchangers, right? We're the, we're the ones that said, okay, you want me to live for the glory of God? Nah, I want to live for something smaller, something less, something that I think will make me happy. But it's more than that. You know, we're not just the fish that are constantly thinking that we want to breathe on land instead of water. We're more than that, Right? In Romans 5, it was just read two nights ago or one last night or something. I can't remember who read it, but it was beautiful that you read it. Thank you. But in Romans 5, 6, 8, and 10, Paul says three things, but they're the exact same things. Listen to these words. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 8, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 10, listen, while we were enemies, we were brought back into relationship with God by the death of his son. Do you hear that? That's who you were when Christ brought you to himself. We were, we were the weak, ungodly sinners, and we were his enemies. 
We weren't like passive. We weren't like sort of sitting on the sidelines like, man, I don't really know if I want to come to you. We were against him. We were not just running away from him. We were fighting back. And in that moment, Christ welcomed us. He brought us to himself. So all that to say, friends, all that to say, Jesus was, is not confused about what you are when he goes to the cross for you. Jesus wasn't confused. He wasn't blindsided by your sin when he went to the cross. He knew you as you were. He knows everything about you. He has seen every dark corner He knows about every skeleton that you thought you hid away in your closet. He was there for all of it. He saw all of it. He knows about all of it. He saw the lowest point in your life that you can think of, that you have tried to forget. He sees all those things, things that you would be ashamed to tell somebody else. He knows about them intimately. He saw you do them. He saw you think them. Jesus sees and knows about all of it, and he has wholeheartedly welcomed you in that moment. If you come to him trusting in his death on your behalf, you are welcome to him with opened arms. He welcomes us, and you know why? Because to do anything less would be little what he did at the cross for you. He knows that whatever you have done, whatever you have been, his blood is enough to cover it. It's debts paid. Come and be welcome to us. Well, be welcome to him. Debt paid, finished, completed. He knows that. And listen, we're not good at being loved like this. You know that? Because when we come to Jesus, he will not make you feel ashamed He's not going to keep bringing it up. He's not embarrassed, and he will not embarrass you. He doesn't hold grudges. He's not going to like, as you come, he's not going to be like, okay, like it's cool that you're here, but you know how much I did for you, right? He's not going to keep making you feel guilty. He's not going to keep bringing it up of like, oh man, you know how good this was that I loved you. Do you remember what you were when I loved you? That's not how Jesus loves. Jesus does not love us like we love. His love is not like our love. His love is better. Whatever we think we know about love, his love is better He welcomes us. So friends, can I just ask you here tonight on our last night, will you let him love you? I'm not making these words up. They're there for us to know. We have been welcomed to Jesus. Would you let him love you? And there's two groups of people that I want to make sure understand I'm talking to you. The first group is those who have not yet place their faith in Jesus or are still considering that and what that would mean. If you haven't placed your faith in Jesus, can I just say you are invited to be loved like this and listen to me loud and clear. You do not need to clean yourself up. You don't need to be a certain version of yourself that you think you need to be before you come to him. You don't need to fit in to get in. 
That whole philosophy falls apart at the door. Look around you anyway. Look around this room. You know some of these people, right? Jesus welcomed them. Oh, man. Students, if you could hear my story, like, he let me in. He's going to let anybody in. I promise you that. I promise you that. Listen, if you feel like you're a mess, if you feel like you're a misfit, if you feel like isolated and you don't belong, good. They're right in the right place. Praise the Lord that you're here. It doesn't matter. Christ welcoming you is all that matters. It's all that matters. And if you would just trust him, if you would just tell him that you trust him, he will welcome you. You are welcomed before you've ever earned or deserved anything. Won't you come to him? And then if that is you, if this camp was the time that you decided that you would trust in him, please tell a leader. Please go up and tell Pastor Sam, hey, you know what? You talked about being baptized in a couple weeks. I wanna get in on that because you made me feel like that's the first thing that I need to do is I place my faith in Jesus. I'm in. I place my faith in Jesus. I'm in. I believe I am in Jesus' arms, wrapped up and taken to himself. I want to tell the world that. Let me be baptized. But then that's the first group that I hope hears that. But there's a second group. To all of my Christian friends in this room, could you just be reminded that this is how you are loved by Christ? Because we need to be reminded, don't we? We do. We forget We forget just how amazing this love is. We do. Let's admit it. We get caught up trying to earn our way to be welcomed into his arms. Can you be remember? Can you remember tonight? Maybe maybe you've stumbled recently. Maybe you've fallen down on your face in sin or you ran away or you've been kind of giving up the glory of God for something much, much smaller and you're worried or concerned or giving your time away to something much, much smaller than the glory of God. Friend, can you just not forget how he loves you? Don't forget. Listen, you couldn't earn your way into his love in the first place. You definitely can't sin your way out of it now. Do you know that? Christian, be reminded of that tonight. And you know what? Part of me just wants to leave it there. I, I, honestly, I don't even necessarily want to ask this third question because frankly, I don't care if we, we attempt to make too much of God's grace, okay? Like however amazing you think it is, it is more amazing than that. We have a very small view, but an ever, hopefully an ever-growing view of this amazing grace of Christ. But I do want to ask one more question. How does Christ welcome us? When he welcomes us, when he takes us to his arms, how does that go? Where does it go from there? And I, I think specifically of the story in John chapter 8. Remember that story of the woman who was caught in sin and they dragged her out, and they dragged her before Jesus. And he said, what, what should we do with this woman? She was caught in her sin. And Jesus knew. One, it was a trap, and he knew exactly what they wanted him to say. She deserved to die. According to their law, she was supposed to be killed. Jesus knew that. They all knew that. And Jesus looked at them all, and what did he say? Whoever of you 
does not have any sin, if you have never sinned before, then you do it. You, you carry out the law like it's supposed to. Go for it. And they trickle out one after one. Just all leave. And Jesus does that weird thing where he draws in the dirt. I, don't, I have no idea what he's doing, but he draws in the dirt. And then eventually he stands up and he asks her, did nobody, nobody condemned you? Nobody, nobody threw any stones at you? So they were all sinners because they, they couldn't do it. And, he, and she says, no, no one. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. The only one that could have rightfully carried out her judgment showed her grace and said, I don't, I don't condemn you either. But then what did he say? Go, and from now on, sin no more. He didn't say, okay, I welcome you by my grace. Now go find someone else to sin with. No, he says, go and change your life. Let this grace that I'm showing you today change everything about you. Friends, listen, he welcomes us in spite of our sin, but he doesn't let us stay in our sin. He he loves us too much to let that poison keep running through our veins. He loves us too much to let us flop around on the land when we were made to swim in the water. He loves us too much. He doesn't welcome you and leave you the same. He transforms you at the deepest levels. He transforms you and he changes you. And you know what that means? Is that means there's a lot of things about you that need to change, right? I'm not that sorry to burst that bubble. You are not perfect, right? And he tells us this much in Philippians 1. He said, he who began a good work in you, praise God that he did, right? Maybe just right now you told Jesus, I want you to be my savior. Right now he begins this good work in your life. Maybe some of you have been saved for decades. He has begun that good work in our lives. Thank God. But what's the promise in this verse? He will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. That means he's not done with us till Jesus gets back. Jesus ain't back. That means he's not done working on us, right? And guys, citizens, this, this space is supposed to be a safe place for that change to happen. For that, for, cause it's not fast. Nobody changes fast. And when they do, it usually doesn't last anyway. It takes a minute. It takes time. It takes patience. It takes reminding about the grace that is in Jesus. And so we got to have a safe space to do that. And that's what citizens is supposed to be. That's what citizens has to be. One writer said, the church should be a safe place for sinners without being a safe place for sin. Let citizens be an example of that. Now that finally brings us to the command in the verse, the invitation in the verse. Look at verse seven. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. The invitation is, we will welcome anybody, anybody. This is the command. The command is, you have been welcomed. Now, you be welcoming. You have been welcomed by Christ. Remember what you were. Remember how he welcomed you, right? And he says, as Christ did that with you, you do that for them. Who are, who are them? Anybody. 
that makes their way into a place like this. Anybody is supposed to be able to get in on this with us. Anybody. Anybody. You were never, we are never unified at the exclusion of others. We are always, always unified as an invitation to others. They're supposed to see it and know that they can get in on it. But listen, it's not simply a command, welcome one another. It's a command, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. You see that? The command here is that we are called to, the the command that we're called to obey is meant to be an experience that is familiar to us. Let, let, me, let me make you imagine it. Remember when you met Jesus, like, and maybe, maybe it was different times and maybe you don't have an exact moment, but remember when you really knew that Jesus loved you. Remember? And you were able to like see him and even like see his arms stretched out and you knew, you knew in that moment that you belonged, right? That you weren't an outsider, that you could be brought in. Remember in that moment, you believed that you could be forgiven. Not just everybody else, but that you, your sins could be forgiven. Remember that? Remember that moment? Remember that moment that you knew you were loved. Loved. And nothing you could do could make you unloved. And nothing you have ever been could take away that love. Remember that moment? You knew that it didn't matter what anybody else thought about you. All that mattered was that you knew you were loved by Christ. The command of this passage is that you are now called to give that same experience to anybody that you come in contact with. When you talk about Jesus, they're supposed to have that same feeling of, I think that that Jesus would welcome me too. When someone walks into a citizens youth group night or even just bumps into a group of you guys somewhere they should know they should get to lock eyes with Christ in that moment knowing that they could be welcomed too that they belong and that they can be forgiven and that they are loved you know one way that you can measure how well we have come to understand the love of God is how well we are able to love people in spite of their brokenness and sin. When we refuse to love others who sin differently than us, it's a real good indication that we haven't understood the love of God yet. Because the command here is, if God welcomed us through Jesus, the question is, how can we not love this person in the same way? See, the thing is, we are not just called to obey this command because it's easy or it's comfortable, right? What was the cost for Christ to welcome us? The cross, the cross. And so that's the level of which we are called to welcome anybody. But our motivation is not that they would see something in us Our motivation is not that this would be the coolest youth group ever. Our motivation, we welcome them to us, to ourselves, to bring glory to God. We welcome anybody because Christ has welcomed us. And guys, 
citizens. It starts here. It starts with you as an individual committing to saying, I will welcome one another as Christ has welcomed me to the glory of God. It takes you deciding that. He says one another, verse seven, welcome one another. Why does he say that? Because the church in Rome heard this letter read and they weren't thinking some theoretical one another, some one another out there. They were thinking of the dude across the room. They, they were kind of mad at that they didn't really like. They were welcome, the, the, the random dude that made their way into the service that day that they had never seen before. That's the one another they would have been thinking about. Your one another is meant to be the people that are filling up this room right now. Not random one another's, these one another's. And it starts here and it starts with you. It has to start with you. Can you imagine? Can you picture it? A youth group a youth group that welcomes one another as they have been welcomed by Christ. That's a group that would glorify God. Guys, it has been an honor to talk to you guys this week. I wanted to close our time by wrapping this all up. Um, and I'm not very good at that. And so instead my church right now is, is gathering around these thoughts of unity together. Um, and it's been a big deal to us. And, and so sometimes you can't say stuff very well in a sermon. So we made a video and I'm gonna actually share that with you to close out our time. And it ends with that picture that I shared with you guys the last two nights in Revelation 7. And that is the picture that I wanna leave with you because I want citizens, I, this is my goal, my result for you, is that you would be a group that looks more and more like heaven. Check this out, thank you guys.